Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. Hello and welcome to How to Exit. Today I'm here with Sebastian Amiva. He's the world's most sought-after expert on mergers and acquisitions. He works exclusively with exclusively with six-figure and seven-figure entrepreneurs and investors to drive growth through mergers and acquisition. Sebastian has spent the last 12 years personally implementing mergers and acquisition strategies, investing into startups, and traveling around the world. Welcome, Sebastian. Thank you for being on the show today. Ronald, thank you very much for this interview. I'm very excited. So, yeah, we are going to have fun. We are going to speak about the M&A, the topic that I love. So I'm ready for this. I'm ready for this. Awesome, awesome. Let's just jump right in. Let's like, let's start where you started. Like, what got you into, uh, the, I guess, the catchphrase these days is acquisition entrepreneurialism, right? You're you're buying and selling businesses for a living. What what, what got you started? How, how did you get going? Yeah, so I, I started a lot of business, you know, from e-commerce to to factories, you know, different kind of business online. And I discovered it's, it's way easier to buy a business instead of starting one from, from day one, right? So this was the, the biggest reason, right? I discovered it's very easy to use the company target asset as a collateral to bring funds, to put the down payment and to, to get that deal. So you get clients from day one, you get revenues from day one. This was the, the biggest reason I started into the M&A space, right? Um, uh, to date, we closed uh, 45 deals with my global clients, right? I do some consulting, M&A training, some, some masterclass. But uh, yeah, we are going to speak about today how to get started into the M&A, how to prepare yourself to become a qualified buyer and all these things, right? But yeah, I started because that way. But I discovered, as you can catch my accent, I'm not an English native. i born in Argentina, Patagonia. And then I moved to the UK. I set up my family office there. And from there, I bought deals in different locations, not just in the UK. I bought the biggest paddle court in Madrid. I bought even a football club called Rayo Cantabria in the north of Spain. And then I bought the biggest LED factory in Brazil with 700 employees, 22 million euros in assets. And from the UK, I realized this, uh, yeah, I realized that from first world country, it's easier to, to get funds, to get capitals, and to do this LBO, so management, management buyout acquisition. From Latin America, it's very hard to do this. But of course, I realized that if you have the holding company in UK or in the US from first world economy, then you can bring funds and put down the funds in the, in the subsidiary in Latin American market, for example, or Southeast Asia or African countries. We, I think it's a good topic today for, for speaking about this today, about uh, how to become a global deal maker, right? Because uh, I've been approached by several entrepreneurs and they say, well, I'm not based in the US, I'm not based in UK, I'm not based in, in Australia. How you can do it from Africa, Southeast Asia, Latin American market, right? So I think it would be, it would be nice to speak about this today. Yeah. I, I like that. And then what a lot of people don't know is if you want to travel around the world, sometimes... I know like Australia and a few other countries, it's easier to live in a country for, for like get your visas and stuff to stay more than, you know, a normal vacation time frame if you own a business in the country. So there's a, there's that aspect of it, right? So yeah, you said two really, you said two really interesting things right there. You're not bound by the country you live in and 
what I caught on the, in the part of that conversation was you don't have to raise the money to buy the company in the, in the country that you were trying to buy the country in. I mean, the business in. So for instance, when you were buying, you know, something in Brazil, you know, not having a foothold there, knowing everybody there, like knowing the venture capitalists, knowing, uh, you know, accredited investors, I guess I would say, or the banking system there might be difficult to buy a large company there. But because you have a holding company in another country, you raise money there and then take it and, and do the deal wherever the deal is. Um, that's brilliant. So uh, we can talk about Correct. that. Correct. This is uh, how it works. If you want to be a global lead maker, always it's good to setting up your holding company in a first world economy, like setting up the holding in Delaware, Wyoming, or Nevada for tax purposes in the US, or setting up in London, UK, or Sydney, Australia or Canada, Toronto, for example, right? Always setting up the legal entity, the SPB or the, or the holding company in a first world economy, it helps to bring credibility also to the investors. So it makes them feel comfortable to invest into your first world entity. And from there, you can bring down the funds to Latin America for acquisitions and also for Southeast Asia or African markets. Right? I think it's a very, a very good uh, strategy helping um, you know, helping also Latin American companies exit, right? Because it's difficult, for example, a company from Brazil with $22 million asking price, they, it's difficult to find a, a potential buyer, right? So a good way for exit to them would be becoming a subsidiary company with a holding company in, in the US, right? So we're using a lot of this kind of uh, strategies, holding subsidiary, which it really helped to, to acquire deals uh, using leverage, right? Using the leverage of the subsidiary company. And also bringing a more uh, legal, you know, security for the investors. Right? They want to invest into an American companies or at least through an, an SPV, an American SPV, special purpose vehicle, which can be a LLC, right? So, yeah, this is the... So that's... That uh, yeah, so you're... Setting up an entity where probably closer where you're located, if you're located in the United States, it's probably Delaware, uh, Nevada, Wyoming. And then you said, and if you're, uh, you know, in, in the UK or something, it's London and you named a couple other cities there. You set up the entity there, you build your fund, you get your investors, uh, you know, that gives credibility to to your uh, your project there when you <clears throat> when you're going to say uh, let's just do Brazil for instance um, right. and you're looking at companies there is there any culture shock or anything like you have to get used to uh, in the local markets uh, there I know every market's different yeah. uh, I try to buy a many and many years ago before I even got into acquisitions and mergers I try to buy a business in Rotan yeah. and uh, oh, yeah. uh, <clears throat> it was a, a Airbnb type of not an Airbnb but a, a bed and breakfast a large one like a little resort and uh, the, the town is a little bit, I don't know if it's still, this is 15, 20 years ago. Let's just say it's very common to, uh, to pay gifts to the mayor oh. and to the city. And uh, it was just like, there was some, Maybe, there was some, yeah. there's, there's yeah. some, yeah, there's some bribery going on and stuff like that to make sure things go well. And um, I don't know if, you know, there are other countries like that when you get into the country, do you need to learn what's normal? Um, yeah, I try to say, listen, we are going to do the American way or the British way. We are not going to do any bribery. We are here to do ethical business. We are going to set up the holding in a first world economy. If In terms of the the the, um, the cultures, the difference, right? All, always for the negotiation, you need to understand the culture, right? How they think, the way, the way they behave, how they negotiate. It's not the same negotiating with American person 
with the Latin American people, they, they have different ways of communicating, right? So for me, I will bring somebody from Brazil of somebody who speaks Portuguese at least because it's another language and I will add them into my board just for credibility purpose and to help me to understand more their culture, to negotiate better with them and to fully understand what they're trying to say and why they want to sell for something, right? I will try awesome. to bring them on board, right? Somebody. But so you before, doing this, before doing this, uh, sorry, Ronald, before doing right. this, uh, I'm hunting for deals in Latin America or Southeast Asia or Africa or becoming a global deal maker. For me, it's important to become a qualified buyer. And what I mean for that, you know, what is what it means being a qualified buyer? You need to know what you're looking for. Defining an acquisition strategy, defining an acquisition criteria helps to understand what you're looking for. And most importantly, everybody must to understand what you're looking for, right? So setting up the acquisition criteria, for example, defining the location, the asking price, the industries that you're targeting is important. Then uh, developing your lenders network. Before you go in and start with the deal hunting, it's good to have at least three lenders. When I'm talking about lenders, I'm not saying only the SBA in the US, I'm not saying traditional banks. I'm saying start building your network with the alternative finance market. It could be invoice lenders, cash flow lenders, revenue lenders, all this kind of alternative finance market to help you fund the deals. So once you have an acquisition criteria, an acquisition strategy, your pitch deck done, your SPV ready in a first world economy, your website done, your corporate email, your lenders network. Also, you have maybe some joint ventures with family office and private equity team matching your investment criteria. Then you, and then only then you can start pitching, you know, at the competitors or pitching somebody who want to exit, right? but not before because you will lose your credibility on day one. Right? If you don't have all the things in place before you go out and, and reach out and try to do the deal hunting. Right? So when you're out there doing deal hunting, it sounds like you, you, you build your plan, right? You build your team. And then you build your platform, like your website and that type of stuff for people to come to. Then you go start to talk to business owners, I guess, that, and right. you find your investors. So there's like, there's four, four steps. You got your plan, your, your team, right? Uh, I guess your team could include the investors or whatever, but it also includes like right. who's doing your due diligence, who's doing, uh, you know, uh, can speak the yeah, language, the or, or understands the yeah. culture, right? Yeah, in terms of the team, I will bring somebody who understands the culture I'm dealing with. Also, I will bring a CPA accountant for accounting due diligence, a transaction attorney for legal due diligence, and also a technical person or an industry expert. If you're targeting, for example, manufacturing companies, and I have no clue about that sector, I, I could bring on board somebody who have 10 to 5 to 10 years of experience in that industry to bring credibility in the negotiation table, right? So this can be your deal team, right? Somebody who understands the market the, that you hunting, the sector, the industry, somebody who knows about accounting, somebody about transaction, some transaction attorney, and yourself as an acquisition entrepreneur. So once you have your team set up, then you can do the deal hunting. Right? For me, preparation is key on life, negotiation, and everything. You need to prepare yourself for the opportunity. Because most of the people that reach out to me, Sebastian, can you help me with this $10 million deal based in Florida? They doing you know, five times a bit, I say, well, do, do you have a joint venture with any, any company in that sector? Do you have funds from investors? Do you have a team of CPA, accountant? Do you have your lenders network developed? Do you have a website, corporate email, pitch deck presentation? When they have nothing about this, you know, and then I say, well, you're not ready. You're not qualified buyer. Also, when somebody asks you, show me proof of funds, right, which is the big barrier for any acquisition entrepreneurs. If they don't have a proof of funds, 
they don't have any track record. No? The background is, is zero. They, don't, they never closed an acquisition before in that sector. Then the brokers, right, or the seller, they will blacklist you. You are not going to be, you know, ready for purchasing more companies, right? So I don't want that to happen to any acquisition entrepreneur. For that, I recommend to be ready for the opportunity. Be ready, yeah. Awesome. So, <clears throat> so you've got your team. You go out yeah. there. What's the search look like? Do you actually, uh, do you go through brokers? Or do you have your people go, like, look at what's out there listed? Uh, do you just make a list of everything in you know, like an industry and start, you know, tackling everybody that's in that industry? Is there like, I know what I do. I, I, I personally, uh, I'm kind of going around the broker and looking mm -hmm. for business owners that are 65 years old and above and meet all the other criteria, right? Five, plus, you know, five or more million in revenue. I mean, I've got a list of criteria and that's who I'm, okay. I'm reaching out to. Uh, not that I won't work with brokers, but you know I've kind of been trained that brokers kill deals most of the time, right? Uh -huh. So uh, you know, what's yeah, in terms of how how do I increase the deal flow, right? And also how how I find deals through brokers and without brokers. Uh, I I don't mind finding deals through brokers because I always find a way to to provide the proof of funds or to provide you know any background of myself right but if you're start, starting from the scratch with no background no money no proof of funds of course it's easier to find uh, off-market deals but to find off-market deals is not easy if you don't know how right so what i do for off-market deals i could explain and what i do for brokers also i could explain uh, both ways to find off-market deal the best way is I reach out to accountants, lawyers, and consultants in the industry that I'm targeting. Let's say I want to buy, again, tracking companies. If I want to buy tracking companies, I will find logistics and tracking experts, consultants in that industry, uh, and also accountants and lawyers. So I will reach out to them and say, hey, if any of your clients want to exit, right? I'm an acquisition entrepreneur. This is my acquisition criteria. I'm, I'm targeting tracking companies in the US with an asking price from half a million to $5 million, right? If you find any of them, I'm happy to pay you an introduction fee, right? So you pay an introduction fee to any consultant, uh, lawyers, and accountant. Why this is my strategy? Because I, I put myself into the seller's shoes, right? If I am the seller when, and I want to sell my company, I will tell to three people, right? First, to my wife, second, to my lawyer, and third, to my accountant, right? And then my, my, consult, the, my consultant will know also, right? So those three people are key to, to contact them through LinkedIn or Twitter or any social media and ask them, ask them, I'm pitching them with your pitch deck, saying that you're looking actively to, to close a deal in the next quarter and showing your acquisition criteria. So if they introduce you a deal, you pay an introduction fee agreement, which can be a fixed price or you can give... Sometimes I give equity, one, two percent of the deal, I can pay a fixed price, 10, 20,000 after, after I close the deal. So this is how I find off-market deals. And also I use an ABA. Right? I use an ABA. She's working five hours per, per day, Monday to Friday, sending the, the script. Hey, my name is Sebastian Amiba. I am a private equity investor. This is my acquisition criteria. If any of your clients want to exit, I'm more than happy to pay you an introduction fee or a referral fee. Call me if you have any news. And I put my email. And then we're sending 150, 200 messages per day to all people into the tracking industry, for example, in the US. So this is my, my off-market uh, off strategy. And for the finding this through brokers, as I have proof of funds, as I have 
acquisition criteria as I have a background. What I do is I bought already all the data from the brokerage firms and small brokerage firms in the US, 700 emails I have, and also from Canada, Australia, Europe, right? I got all this data from all the brokers. So what I do is I, I, I create, a, I write a nice email introducing myself and I, and I paste, paste my acquisition criteria, say, hey, Nice to connect. This is my acquisition criteria. If you have any deals, please send it over. So all the brokers are sending deals to me because they they put me into a, the, the buyer list, right? So they send me deals every week, matching my acquisition criteria, not any random one, right? So it's important to build a, a broker, broker list so you can send your pitch deck and they will send you. This is the two ways I, I'm getting this. But another way is just because people know already that I am an M&A expert i do in m a for a living so they know i'm an investor and they reach out to me for business opportunities they send me deals say sebastian i want to sell my company are you interested so you know sometimes you need to exposure yourself exposure yourself and getting out there and doing some you know different kind of digital marketing strategies some people do paid advertising you know for finding deals some people do a physical letter. I have a client who sent out in Germany 1,000 physical letters. He first bought all the data for the chemical companies in from 5 million to 10 million in Germany. And then he sent to physical letters saying, this is my acquisition criteria. If you're interested to exit, let's have a conference call. The open rate, the success rates are not high, but you at least gain you know, three, four leads, you know, good, good clients, good potential seller. We have different kind of ways to increase the deal flow, but most most of the people, most of the acquisition entrepreneurs, they think that uh, deal flow is the most important thing. How I can find a motivated seller? How can I find a good deal, Sebastian? And say, I say, listen, if you are not ready for the opportunity, you will watch opportunity pass by like a train, right? And you cannot do anything. You will spend two, three years, five years trying to close a deal, but if you don't have all the foundation in place, then you know, it's, it's hard to close a deal, very hard, you know, to be honest. And also, even if you are ready, you know, to buy a deal, even even even, even though it's, it's hard for me, even for myself, even from big private equity firms, you know, they analyze maybe 100 deals per year, but they invest in one, one to three deals. So even for big businessmen, it's, it's hard to close a deal. So preparation is key, right? Or having someone who can walk you through the entire process at least for the first deal. Then you can replicate the system and do it by yourself, and, you know, being a deal maker um, by yourself. I'm absolutely a big proponent <laughs> of mentors and having people walk you through the deal. <clears throat> Tell me a little bit about the process. You would walk a, you know, an entrepreneur, somebody that's got some entrepreneurial experience and they have, they have some um, resources, maybe not just money, but like they have connections and the people, they can, they can build a team. Somebody like that comes to you and, uh, you know, they meet your criteria. What's the process you would walk them through uh, to get them ready for their first deal? Correct. So my methodology for working with, with clients or mentees, for example, is, uh, is uh, I provide a one-on-one -on -one service because I believe buying a company, buying a deal is a serious thing, right? It's not, I, this reason I, I'm not selling online mm -hmm. courses, I'm not selling trainings online, info products or, or challenges online. I do one-on-one -on -one because I like to be long-term relationship with my mentees, with my client. And my program is 12-month duration. It's not a short thing. It's not a magic pill, right? 
I put 12 months because some people can close a deal in three months, in two months, six months, 12 months, right? So we need to we need to do a lot of things to reach the point where you start the deal hunting. So I prepare them in two months, let's say 45 days to two months. We have weekly calls, one-on-one. -on -one. This is no group calls. It's you and me only. So you want to have access also to my WhatsApp number, to my email. We are fully connected. In case you have any doubt, you can reach out to me at any time. So I believe more in having this kind of mentor. This is what I would like to have before, right? So I, I made a lot of mistakes buying deals. I, I went bankrupt once. I will tell you the story later this. But then um, for me, it's very important having someone, a personal connection, one-on-one, -on -one, having full access. If you have any questions, you reach out to your mentor, to your coach, and then together we find a solution. We together analyze deal. We together jump in a conference call with the seller, with the broker, with the investors, right? It's not like you doing everything by yourself. You don't know where to start. You need somebody who walk you through the entire process. Say, listen, now this week you need to set up your website, your pitch deck, your acquisition criteria. Next week you need to start developing the lenders network. You need to develop the, the network with private equity firm, family office. And not only that, I will give you my six personal lenders I'm working in the U.S. to you. Their WhatsApp numbers, their email. I provide you with all the tools that you need to succeed. Of course, some people pretend I give the key. Listen, I close this deal for you. Now you can start collecting dividends. It's not like that. People sometimes misunderstand, and it's, it's good to say, right? You need to do the work, right? I can give you all the guidelines. I can stay for you at all the time. We can analyze deals together. We can speak with investors. We can promote ourselves. We can, you know, summit a letter of intent together. But they need to, do, to find a good deal and, uh, and also, you know, they need to follow all the steps until they are ready for the, for the opportunity. What I do for them, because I know proof of funds is a big thing, I provide a, a $5 million commitment letter, right? So I provide you, as if you are my client, I have a trusted lender who can issue a letter of commitment for $5 million. So at least you have something to show and um, to pass the barrier for the, when the broker asks you for proof of funds or the seller, right? This is a good thing I have in there into my. That's always good to program. have it. Yeah. It's kind of a checkbox thing they have once they see one. Uh, at least in my experience, uh, even in the real estate world, I bought a bunch of uh, short sales and stuff. And the proof right. of funds is something on their checklist. If you don't have one, you don't pass. Right? You yeah. don't get past right. it. It. But other than you know somebody saying, "Yeah, if this deal goes through, I'll fund it." Um, there's really not much to them. Uh, there used to be some websites out there that would generate proofs of funds for, I wouldn't recommend yeah. going to just a proof of fund generating website, especially in this space, right? Because uh, here in the United States, we're really, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We like to sue each other. And there, there's a failure, there's a chance that you could uh, get nailed for failure to perform. So, uh, but you know, I, I, that's the only reason I even brought that up as I mentioned there are actually websites that will generate proof of funds for you and I was like you don't want oh, really? more people wow. using those <laughs> in the real estate world it was very common right you're going to buy a $100,000 house and they'll make a, you know, a bank owned house and they would say well we need a proof of funds you could go to transactwhatever.com and put in your you know criteria now there was real lending companies behind these but we rarely use their lending because they wanted like 22% or something crazy. But we'd uh -huh. use them to generate proof of funds letters and we'd use our uh -huh. private lenders to fund the actual deal. So you don't have to call a your accredited <laughs> investor every week and go, hey, I need another proof of funds. <laughs> um, you know, I get it. that you're. That's a really cool thing that you provide for them. because yeah, it, it gets you past. It's a gatekeeper type of thing, right? It, it helps the broker weed out like the nonsense, like the, you know, the people just can't get a deal done. 
So correct, correct. Yeah. What, so this is what, a good thing I'm doing, yeah. So you can ask me any any more tricks I'm using to help people <laughs> to purchase their, so, their business. Cool. The um the other thing I'm curious about is like I have people all the time go, it's cool that you're in this. You have a master's degree and you got an MBA and I you know, I've never I've never like owned a business over six figures. And I think I really tell them, depending on what you buy, it really doesn't matter. Right. I, I think I don't think it matters. If you have an entrepreneurial heart, I think you could do this. And I want I want, you, I want your opinion on this. As long as you understand and let your ego go and put somebody if you don't know how to do something inside one of these businesses you're acquiring, you put somebody in that spot that knows how to do it. Right. Yeah. So, so the, it, if you if you're like me, when I was 24 years old, when I bought a, a trucking company with 200 employees, and I became the CEO and I want to do everything. I want to be the accountant, the CEO, the manager, the, the business buyer. Then after six months, I bankrupt that company and 200 people were losing their job because it was my inability to, to, to manage deals. Right. So for me, it's very important to, to differentiate, to, to divide. You need to become good at buying companies, not managing companies. For managing companies, you could find an expert, a CEO who's been running the same kind of companies for the last 10 years or five years. You need to replace yourself and position yourself as an investor, not as a manager. You know, my system is very simple. We buy a company, we fully delegate the management, and we collect dividends. It's three steps, right? So don't try to be all over the place, right? You just need to become good at buying companies, you know, analyzing companies and buying, and you know, professional business buyer, right? a qualified buyer. I call it, yeah. Awesome. I could see, you know, it sounds like you have a real world experience of buying something and trying to do it all and, 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 and you know, chasing it into the ground, right? It's, yeah. I've, I've been there and, and I, I built something. And one of the things that people don't get is it takes a different uh, CEO or, or owner, or you call it the head, head guy. It takes a different CEO to create a company and take it to a couple hundred grand than it does to take it from a couple hundred grand to a couple million. Then often it does to take it from a couple million to something substantial, you know, to an IPO or something. Those are different in individuals with different skill sets and different mentalities. I was great at like coming up with an idea and getting the first dollar in the door and generating a little bit of income, but I wouldn't let it go when it came to the point where, okay, this is a bigger than me and I probably should have somebody take it from here and move on. And inside of this, you know, acquisitions, entrepreneurship, I'm looking at like, you know what you're saying, being the professional buyer, go out, find the deal, close the deal, put a great team in there, collect dividends and go find another deal. That's, that's right. brilliant. So right. um, jumping into the like kind of the space of being an entrepreneurial, you know, acquisition entrepreneur, are there any misconceived notions out there? Anything that, you know, people believe about this space or industry that just kind of bugs you and, you know, you wish people wouldn't believe that nonsense yeah so people people still believe that uh, you know it's a lot of going on with no money down deals right people when they read some advertising you can buy a business with no money down so for me no money down doesn't exist right so it's a, it's a big big uh, marketing catch right so no money down deals means that you are not using your own money to purchase a company right you are using investors' money or joint venture, private equity firms money to put as a down payment, and then or you're using your alternative finance market lenders, right? This means so this is the big big thing around buying a company. People say how how this can be possible? How you can buy a business uh, no money down? It means that you can use other people's money like investors or lenders, right? So 
they should say none of your money down, but they don't, um, right? It's a marketing point. One dollar, you know, one dollar deals. Like you know, okay, well, it, uh -huh. the the seller's not really getting one dollar, <laughs> right? right? Not, they're, they're you know. Um, one of the mentors I hope to have him on here, and I'm not going to name him by name. He he comes he 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 coins the phrase or uses the phrase def def deferred down payment. So somebody okay. says, "Well, I'll, I'll I'll finance the deal to you, but I need you know 300k down." He's like, "Okay, I'll I'll give you 300 thousand dollars down as a deferred down payment." And then he uses what oh. you're talking about uh, invoice financing or. Uh, I'm a big real estate guy. I like the property split thing. I like I like businesses to own real estate. That's what I'm kind of looking yeah. for now. That's and, okay with uh, you. Yeah, I have REITs and, and investment trust and other stuff looking for commercial properties. So the goal would be to buy a business that owns the property, sell the business off to them, lease it back and use that money to fund fund the deal as part of my you know funding strategy. And uh, I've seen them done. I've actually uh, came really close to, to getting one done and it, it got drug out at the last second. But uh, that, that's the complexity of these things, right? You've got to be willing to get in there, work the deals, Try to see them all the way through the end. Some of them are, you know, I, the two that I can think of off the top of my head that, that that I wanted most at the beginning. I'm the one that said no at the end because there just there was something wrong, right? So, <laughs> so in your space, how does that look? Do you do you get through deals, go through due diligence, and go, yeah, we well, probably shouldn't touch this thing? Do you get those deals too? Yeah. So in terms of due diligence, you know, you need you need to have three key people on your team, right? The, the, yeah, a proper M and A transaction attorney, right? Because there you have a, a lot of general general lawyers, but they don't have a clue about corporate world, right? So you need to find a proper transaction attorney, a proper CPA accountant who done due diligence before, and then a, a good uh, technical person. So you have three people, accountant, CPA accountant, transaction attorney, and a technical person who understand and can give you some uh, technical report about the company that you're purchasing. Right? So it's very important to have uh, those three. And also another thing that is most of the entrepreneurs are missing, right? I'm very, I'm like, um, you know, repeating all the time, build a data room, right? What is a data room? You say, listen, if you don't have a data room, either way you are buying a company and you sell or you sell in a company, you need a proper data room. Right? It means having all the information in one folder. It can be a Google Drive, for example. Right? Once you have all the information of the deal, after you sign an NDA, you start gathering all the financials, tax return, profit and loss, balance sheet, right? All the legal contracts you need to build a proper data room with all the folders and then you can share it to your lenders network and to your investors network so for me communicating that way first of all you need to have a proper data room a virtual data room and then you share all the informations with the, all the parties with your lawyer with your accountant with your technical person with your investors with your joint ventures like family office private equity firm or with your partners right so what what you should include into a data room? I have here, here you know, the marketing materials, right? Marketing materials, a teaser presentation, is a one-page presentation, all the all the marketing things, right? I and tools, softwares, all the stuff. Then the financial and tax information is important to put it into a data room. All the legal documents, all the human resources, the private and confidential data, also folder, inventory of assets, the asset inventory, right? Maquinery real estate, also the appraisal of each of them, right? general contracts and customer and vendor lists. Right? All these things are important to, to build your data room. Once you have all the information in one place organized, then you start sharing it with your, with your lenders network so they can tell you, Sebastian, I can give you 70% loan to value on this. Also, you share with your partners, 
So everybody understands the same, but it all started with a proper, with building a proper data room, right? Using Google Drive, maybe is the easiest way. So uh, one of the things here in the United States, uh, it goes back and forth. The SBA always requires a personal guarantee. And if you own another business, one of the things I've seen with the last couple of deals we looked at, they try to encumber your other business, you know, as part of the loan. They basically use the business as collateral. Um, are the lenders you're looking at, is there a way to avoid that and just use the business itself as the thing? Or is there always going to be a personal guarantee inside of these lending uh, uh institutions that help you buy businesses yeah correct yeah, i would i i wouldn't advise to anybody to put a personal guarantee except it's the deal of your life you buying a 10 million dollar deal no money down and then you say well i need to take a risk i will make a 1 million net per year on this i will bet on on my capabilities to to make it succeed this so sometime if it's the deal of your life of course you need to you need to take a risk. You are, you're a, you want to become a business owner, you need to be a risk taker sometime. But uh, for small deals, for nonsense opportunities, I wouldn't put a personal guarantee. Right? For me, uh, also, uh, to analyze deals, it's good to have uh, on your team a uh, certified business broker, right? somebody who can do valuations. Right? You need to understand how much you're paying and why you're paying what you're paying. Right? So it's important to have a certified business broker or evaluation expert on your team. If you are not one, you can find anybody online or i can refer you one on my team right so it's important to do valuations properly right what is your favorite valuation model if you look at all the top schools like the top uh, mba right. business schools yeah. i think there's a total of like 140 i want to say 147 is the numbers coming to my head evaluation <laughs> models to evaluate businesses what right. is your favorite like you know uh i kind of use this thing, the multiple of ebitda as a yeah. kind of a thumb in the air am i even close to the ballpark but when it when it comes down to it what is your i will favorite? tell you my I, I will i will tell you my favorite one but first of all i will explain you the force that we're using right we're using four methods you know the, we suggest so just people to to try these four right earnings yeah. multiple is one you know earnings mm -hmm. multiple or using revenues multiple the second one or you can do a discounted cash flow analysis or you can do a bit of multiple right? so i recommend those four right Earnings multiple, revenue multiple, EBITDA multiple, and do a discounted cash flow analysis. Those four are the main that we use in, but my favorite one is EBITDA. You know, I realize it's the, the, the easiest for me, and then I, it's easy for me to set up an acquisition criteria using EBITDA multiple. So I normally buy three times to four times multiple EBITDA deals. If it's five times, I'm not really interested, right? Because it's expensive for me. Not for me, for my lenders. I realized that the lenders in the US, UK, Australia, and Canada, they like deals up to four times multiple, right? Because it's, it's easier to pay to set up a proper debt repayment plan. So I'm buying up to four times a bit of multiple. This reason is my favorite. And also, I really understand well how to calculate it, reading all the balance sheet and profit and loss. Right? So, But always, always, I request to do evaluation, right? Valuation can cost money, of course. You can get you can get a valuation for five thousand dollars or for thirty thousand, right? It depends on the deal side, the industry, and also the the valuation expert. They have different ranges, different prices, right? But those four are the ones that we use in, in our M and A training program. But my favorite is a bit da, you know, a bit multiple. Yeah. So when the, when you listed off some of the industries you've bought in and stuff, it was pretty broad spectrum. Are there any industries you really just like avoid, like uh, you just don't yeah. recommend people Correct. get into? 
correct yeah if you want to do your first single acquisition or if you want to get started right always is good to start with asset heavy deals right you have two kind of deals asset light deals like it marketing cybersecurity, everything with the software as a service or test as a service anything it related is is harder than acquired than uh, than uh, asset heavy deals when i mean asset heavy deal i mean 50% of the balance sheet must be full of assets like machinery, equipment, real estate. Right? If your company, if the company target has at least 50% of the balance sheet in asset, then it's leverageable. Right? You can leverage. But if it's an IT company with only contracts and a bunch of computers, it's difficult to leverage this. Except, I'm not saying it's, 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 it's impossible. I'm saying it's harder. Right? I have a client who bought an almost six million pounds company cybersecurity in in the uk but that that company got a contract with the army with the government right so when you have a solid contract you can use it as a collateral to bring funds for the down payment so if you are if you want to do asset light deals like cybersecurity it i would recommend to have in a contract with clients who are very well known right? very well known or at least public companies yeah so i would recommend asset heavy deals like Manufacturing, healthcare, tracking, logistics. I love tracking because it's a very simple model. You have the tracks, sometimes the office, the real estate, and the clients. Right, so you can use the tracks and the real estate as a as a you know leverage um, as a collateral right, to raise funds. Do you think there's a disruption coming inside of the trucking industry with the uh, self-driving vehicles? Yeah, and... yeah, with the with the self-driving, and also it's very problematic. It's it's, uh, it's complicated to find drivers here. <laughs> It's a lot of, uh, with the drivers, we have this problem right now, this issue with finding drivers, you know, we need to find recruiters to find drivers for us. This is a, it's a problem. And also, you know, self-driving also is going to be something disrupting in the near future. Right? Yeah. It almost sounds like I, I, almost every industry I, I, I talked with, a, you know, a, an advisor on, or even when we were work, we were working on a, a really big uh, marketing roll-up not too long ago, and every industry has this, shortage and it's funny it's like almost every acquisition i look at is like okay the next bolt-on is i need a staffing company that specializes in in finding great you know employees for this you know is that just is you know i mean to me that seems like a great bolt-on for almost any company that doesn't have a really good recruiting department if you're big and you need you know if you need more than a few employees a month to just to scale and grow and stay stay in business you know hiring or buying a company that that's what they do is find those people um, seems yeah, logical. Yeah. Seems logical, yeah. Some people, for example, they want to get started into the M and A buying a single acquisition, which is the most reasonable thing if you are starting with. But some people came to me and say, Sebastian, I have no clue about M and A. I never ran a business before. I don't have an MBA. It's not mandatory to have an MBA, but anybody can buy a business. But they want to do an IPO and a SPAC right away, right? So they want to do a roll-up of a fragmented industry and rolling up six companies, you know, and doing more complex things, right? I think always it's good starting with baby steps, buying a company from 500K to $5 million, prove the system, then you're going to feel more confidence, and then you can do roll-ups or merger, or you can do different, more complex acquisitions, right? Or doing a holding subsidiary one, the one we were speaking in the, in the beginning, right? Are more complex ones, right? So... Yeah, we were doing a marketing roll up and I'll tell you, uh, the one thing that surprised us is the legal fees per 
company that we brought in to have the transaction attorneys negotiate getting the contract signed. Um, you know, the first one was close to fifty to sixty thousand bucks to just get the contract That's defined. It. You know, negotiate through the first one, and they promised to get it down to about you know twenty five to thirty thousand dollars per acquisition. Uh, but we were looking at, you know, between 20 and 30, maybe 40 acquisitions. So the legal fees alone uh, were going to be substantial. So, uh, yeah, I would agree with you on there. If you're if you're just getting started and, you you know, you're thinking, I'm going to do a roll up on day one. Yeah. It's OK if you got really deep project, pro, uh, pro, I can't even speak, really deep pod, pockets. You got money to okay. uh, work or you have investors lined up to help you out that maybe you've done that before. But uh, if you're starting off with you know, doing LBOs, bank loans, investors funding, asset funding, stuff like that, the legal fees alone uh, could be very painful, closing fees to close each one of those, because everything you roll up and roll in uh, has some some expenses associated with it, right? So, yeah, let's just speak about the expenses. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You, you're on point. So most of people say, Sebastian, how to engage with uh, with a lawyer or with an, a CPA, right? They are very expensive. They want to charge me 30000 for a due diligence. They want to, you know, they want to charge a lot of money. So they want to make me sign a letter of engagement, right? So what I recommend is to find solo lawyer or small, medium firms, right? So you want to contact them and say, you're an acquisition entrepreneur. This is my acquisition criteria. This is my board. And we're looking forward to close a deal in the next quarter, for example. Right? We are in, not in a position to pay upfront fees, right? We want to pay at the, you know, after the completion. We pay whatever fee you charge, we pay after the completion. So it's difficult to find this kind of person. And most, most of them, they want to charge you a contingency fee. What it means, if the deal fell through, you need to pay a percentage of the main fee. So let's say $1,500 if the deal fell through. So if, if you fell through 100 times, you're gonna go bankrupt, right? Just analyzing <laughs> deals. This, this is the problem. So you need to be became good at analyzing deals, and then you want to spend time with your lawyer and with an accountant because they will charge you money, right? So you need to be ninety percent sure you want to close that deal. So also you don't waste their time, right? And you don't waste your money and your time also. Right? So I would recommend to fully analyze deal, becoming good at deal analysis. I like your idea of building out your own deal room, even if you're like the buyer. You build out your deal room. You have your folder. You have everything there. Your team goes through it and says, yes, this is a deal. And then you contact the attorneys or your investors and say, Here, here's one I'm, I'm serious about. Uh, being new before I even hired my first mentor, uh, I got a hand, my hands on a $13 million a year uh, concrete plant uh, that had a lot of problems. And uh, I won't say too much because they're probably they're local and they might they might hear this at some point. So I, I won't beat them up too bad. But. My team was, I have a friend who, you know, is finishing up law school and he's brilliant in business. I brought him and I had a guy who's just, he could sell, you know, he could sell snow to Eskimos. He's just really good in sales and stuff. So I had him on the team. I had a a friend of mine, her name's Kat. She's a retired uh, forensic accountant and uh, we needed her because the books were a mess, right? So I built a team around this and we used a lot of that team's time. And we never really got what I would call a deal room done. As a matter of fact, the offer ended up being a dollar down deal because they just didn't give us the financials. And, you know, they, on a $13 million concrete plant, the, uh, and I've said this on the show before, so my, my people have heard this before. The biggest pushback we got wasn't the fact that we offered them a dollar deal and taken over like $4 million worth of debt. And then, you know, but um, 
the biggest problem they had is we actually had a 45 day unwind clause because we didn't have a full deal room. We wanted to get in, clean up things, have the accountant go through the books, do them right. And then in 45 days, if we seen uglier skeletons than we'd already found, right? If we already, we seen <laughs> uglier demons than the ones they've already showed us, we wanted to be able to hand it back to them. And, uh, they had more pushback for the fact that I could hand it back to them at the end of 45 days than they did that I was offering them a dollar down. And uh, it sounds like a dollar down, but we, they had $4 million worth of debt we were going to assume but, yeah. Uh, yeah. and clean up. But uh, another, another thing that, uh, yeah, I forgot to tell you, so, so people don't waste time with their own seller, right? You need to know how long they've been, they've been trying to sell their company and fully understand their why, why they're selling, right? They, they always say, I want to retire or, I have somebody ill in my family, but it's always good to get into the company, do a physical viewing, right? And doing the viewing of the company, trying to hang out with the seller, trying to fully understand their why. Right? Because most of them, they are not ready. They don't have a, so a red flag for me is when they don't have a valuation done, when they don't have a proper data room in place, right? They don't have all the tax returns. This is a red flag for me. They are not ready for an exit. If they don't have an M&A advisor, also it's a red flag. If they don't have a, a CPA who is uh, who is who knows all the process, right? When when they say Sebastian, please don't tell anybody I'm selling. You know, of course you need to be confidential because you can scare all the employees, right? But you no, know, when they trying to they you know they don't have a broker also can be a red flag. If if you want to sell your company, I will hire a name and a expert. I will I will do evaluation. I will find a broker who help me to do the listing. You know. I also, another point is they don't know what to do after they sell the company. Right? So a good closing for me is what are you going to do after you sell the company to me, for example? This is the, the question I ask them. What are you going to do after you sell the company, after I purchase this company? What is your plan? If they have no plan, also it's a red flag. Also, it's, a, it's some tax implication, right? So if they don't know what to do with the money after the, the, after I purchase the company, then it's a red flag. I, I'm going to be wasting time with this guy, you know? Maybe they don't know, but I will say, listen, if you don't know, I will put you in touch with my tax planner, right? Who You can discuss the tax implication. You know, you can check out if, if it's better to do an asset or a stock purchase, what is better for you in, in terms of tax purpose. Also, if you have any state tax implication, if we are in Delaware or which state we are in the U.S., you need to know all these things about tax. So always it's good if you sell in a company, having an M&A advisor, a broker, and a CPA, and a lawyer to help you to build a data room and also a tax planner, you know, tax planning expert who can help you with all the tax implications after you. So this is the question I ask. So what are you going to do after you, after I purchase this company? Right? And then, well, I'm going to go and sailing around the world. I'm going to be traveling around the world. I want to buy my daughter a house. You know, you need to know. I'm asking a lot of questions in the first meeting, right? And, it, and it, that helps build rapport, right? A lot of people think that business owners are only interested in selling to get a big fat check. And in my experience, that's probably down fourth or fifth on their priority scale, right? The fat check means something to them. But in, in a lot of cases, what's going to happen to the company? What's going to happen to the, you know, the, uh, the brand? you know, what's going to happen to their employees, those take a higher precedence in a lot of cases, especially in that smaller $1 million to $5 million business owner who's been doing it for, say, they built their business over the last 25 years and they want to retire. 
I found personally they're more interested in what's going to happen to their you know, their friend Bob who's worked for him for 25 years. You know, of the right. 26 years he's been open, that guy's been beside him for 25 years. Then they are getting an extra, you know, 50 grand, you know, on their business. And I ask a lot of people on the show who have sold businesses, did you take the highest and best offer? And I haven't got a yes yet. It's usually like they weren't, there wasn't that much difference. You know, like it wasn't six figures difference between the two offers, but it was, you know, significant a lot of times. Um, and the, the buyers they are worried about the legacy, you know, that you, yeah. you keep the legacy after the purchase and don't start fighting everywhere, everywhere. <laughs> so they worry about you keeping the legacy. For that is very important to sound credible and knowledgeable, right? You need to know the industry that you, you, you're targeting, right? Also, a good thing I do for my clients is I, I say, listen, if you want to target manufacturing companies, what I suggest to you is buy a market report, a market research, to fully understand how much the manufacturing industry worth in the U.S., for example. What are the top 10 players in this industry, right? Who are the top 10 M&A uh, advisory firms targeting this company? Who are the family office, private equity firms, you know, who are operating in the manufacturing industries? It's very good to know all these indicators, all these people, before you go and do the site visit, right, the viewings. And so you start, you, when you start speaking with the seller, they will say, okay, this guy really know my industry. He's not like a financial acquirer. He's a strategic acquirer, right? He knows my industry. He will keep the legacy, right? He is not going to do a dodgy thing, right? So he knows. So this is a good thing to, to do before. Preparing yourself, understanding the industry, buying a market report. You can buy it on statista.com or any of those, you know, websites. You can get a market report, a market research. You can... You know, do your search, you know, learn about the industry that you're targeting. This is important. If you don't know it, also you can bring an industry expert, but do both things, right? So it's very powerful, very powerful to build reports on the first meeting with the seller. So that's a great idea, building a rapport by knowing the industry inside and out and having them fill it. They're, like, there's actually a, like, this, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A safe pair of hands. They want to know that they're handing that business off to a safe pair of hands. And even if you're not going to be an operator, meaning you're going to be a acquisitions entrepreneur, somebody else is going to run it. You're the one talking to that business owner. And if you can't instill that safe pair of hands, um, like you have enough industry knowledge to, to, to do that, it could be a real problem. I, I could see that hundred percent. It was a big hurdle on that, on the concrete plant. One of the biggest hurdles that we had with them is we've never, we didn't know anything about concrete. We've never been around it. And they, you know, <laughs> That's all they did, right? Like they um, they were a manufacturer of um, like grease trap storm shelters, culverts, and that type of stuff. But uh, mm -hmm. the the what really got past that is I was like, look, you have a general manager in place already who knows this inside and out. I'm probably going to have him run it or bring somebody in to help him run it. I'm not, you know, that's, right. you know, this isn't what we do, right? We're, we're not, we're not going to step in and tell people what to do on this. That would, that would be absurd. Right. I think you, you know. need to, I, need, I think you need to explain how is, how is going to be this process done, right? You need to explain the process. You need to create an idea on their mind. So say, listen, after we purchase the business, we want to keep the legacy. And then we want to move this ex employee to become the new CEO or we want to keep you as a coach, as a coach for the next six months so you can train the new CEO. We are going to be recruiting a new CEO with 10 years of experience in manufacturing company, for example. And if you stay on board with a paid salary for the next three to six months, it will be very helpful for, 
for doing a smooth transition, right? So always it's good to explaining what is gonna happen because they will have a lot of emotional things going on psychologically and also they have a lot of questions, right? What is gonna happen with the company after I leave, right? They're worried about all of these things. So it's always it's good, always it's good showing transparency, showing all the all the all the hands. Say, listen, I signed the NDA, I got the information. If I am agree, I will submit a letter of intent. And after that, I will send my guys, my accountant, my lawyer, and my technical person to do a, a due diligence. If everything looks like which, what you said before, we're going to start drafting the share purchase agreement. If we agree on the terms of the share purchase agreement or stock purchase agreement, then we sign it and we celebrate together. After, from day one, I have a 100 days plan. After that, we're going to delegate the management or you can... You can stay as a CEO if you want to stay. If you want to fully retire, we can. You can suggest somebody from inside the company to move up, move up and become the new CEO. Or we can bring a, a new CEO with ten years of experience. Right? You always show in the process what is going to happen from the beginning to the end. So then it make it make people feel safe, right? This guy really know what he's doing, right? He been closing this for the last twelve years. He know how is the entire process from the beginning to the end from before acquisition to post acquisition. You need to fully explain what is gonna happen so everybody feels safe. The accountant feels safe, the lawyer, their lawyer feels safe, all the shareholders feel safe, the employees feel, feel safe. Right? Safety, you know, offering safety and transparency, showing the process. Right? All right. Well, Sebastian, we're at 53 minutes now. We're getting close okay. to top of the hour. I want to make sure people yeah. know how to get a hold of you. So I'm gonna put up your, uh, okay. your contact information there. Um, okay. For those of you guys who are listening, it'll be in the show notes. Uh, if you're on, if you're watching one of the videos, it's on the screen and will be in the description. Uh, it's his name.com. So it's uh, Sebastian, S-E-B-A-S-T-I-A-N. And the last name is A-M-I-E-V-A.com. But again, it'll be in the show notes and it should be on the screen if you're watching it on YouTube or one of the social media channels. And then I'm going to show you how to get a hold of him on LinkedIn. Um, Sebastian, your name's pretty unique. They could probably just search for you on there, but uh, there's right, the yeah. uh, URL for that. It also will be in the show notes. And uh, reach out to him, say hi, tell him what kind of deals you're working on, and and uh, you know really kind of spend some time. I, I recommend everybody kind of interview you, interview your mentor. Uh, too, if you choose to work with him, make sure you guys can work together. He's going to do the same thing. You, he's going to vet you. But um, the same way goes back when you're like, I talked to three or four different people before I hired the, the guy that I hired. And uh, out of respect, I won't say who that is because I want you guys to reach out to Sebastian. When I have him on here, I might admit it. But uh, uh, I do look forward to, you know, I'm going to work my way through the different mentors as I do different deals. And uh, just to get the experience and knowledge of each of you guys. So uh, don't be surprised if I circle back around at some point and go, Hey, I've got one for you. Let's work this together. Um, but I'm going, uh, I'm taking a different approach than I took with the real estate. Uh, jokingly, I, I always tease around. I have about 140 or $150,000 bookshelf over here from all the materials and programs I bought when I did real estate. So uh, now that I'm in this space, I'm going to, pick one guy, do their, their type of deal, get it done. And then, you know, go to the next guy and learn from them and then, um, work, work my way around. But again, Sebastian, thank you for being on the show. Is there like, is there anything that we missed? I always, I, I always ask this question. We talked about a lot of topics. We covered different angles. Is there anything in the back of your head going, man, we probably should have talked about this a little bit. Yeah. I think uh, I could, I could stay 
talking with you for ages, right? You're asking very nice question, and of course, I love this topic, right? So the most important thing you were talking about mentors for me is very important when you find a mentor, when you engage with somebody to do a do a diligence, right? Don't don't let yourself get uh, you know cheated by the marketing staff or the you know all these tricks like uh, buying no money down deal and all these kind of tricks, right? So do your due diligence. Does this guy close any deal in his life? How long have this guy been, you know, training people? Check the testimonials, the real one, not the one you pay for in you know, a testimonial. Check the real testimonials. So do your due diligence is very important. The same with the, when the company targets, when you're doing a due diligence, you need to do the same for hiring a, a mentor. And if anybody have a question for me, you know, because we're running out of time, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn or they can Google my name and check out another postcard I did or interviews or, you know, all the referrals, all people talking about my work and what I did in the past, right? So, yeah, what I say now, thank you very much. Thank you, Rona, for this great interview. I feel very grateful. Thank you very much. And I really had fun, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Stay on, uh, stay on the line for just a second after I end the stream. And I do appreciate sure. you. Thank you. And that was that's the show today, guys. Thank you for uh, listening. Bye. The Investors and Entrepreneurs Professional Mastermind. The Investors and Entrepreneurial Professional Mastermind combines the traditional peer-to-peer mastermind introduced first in Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich, with accountability partnering where your peers help you ensure that you set goals, take actions, and get results. If you want to scale, blow past roadblocks, and achieve success faster than you might think is possible, I suggest you take a visit over to tiepm.com. That's T-I-E pm.com and check out the investors and entrepreneurs professional mastermind.